This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. I am a big fan of disruptive ideas, and this year, Casper Mattresses is on the top of my list. Hi, it's Glenn Beck, and I love sleeping on my Casper mattress. Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at an unbelievably fair price. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep service with just the right sink and just the right bounce. And better yet, it breathes so you don't wake up drenched in sweat. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. In fact, it's now the most awarded mattress of the decade. Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your home. And if you don't love it, they're going to pick it up and refund everything. Imagine that, a company so confident that their product is what you want that they'll offer a 100% refund. Made in America, with free shipping and returns to U.S. and Canada. Get $50 off of any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash glen and use the promo code glen. Terms and conditions do apply. Go to casper.com slash glen, casper.com slash Glenn. Ladies and gentlemen, Billy Hallowell and Chris Field, the Church Boys. From the sublime to the ridiculous, but mostly ridiculous. And it's a wonderful Sunday I hate these guys. Well, Billy. Oh, thanks for joining me, Chris. It's uh, <laughs> after your flakiness this past month. I know I'm it's been. I tell you, I, I have felt, I have felt totally irresponsible the Don't last lie. month or Don't so. Don't lie. I have no. I haven't. I haven't enjoyed being irresponsible, mm-hmm. but it does give me a little bit of perspective on on you. What it's like to be me. Yeah, <laughs> and what it's like to be Billy. So it's been a. Uh, it's been crazy. So it's kind of. And there's still more stuff coming up in the next few weeks just because it's summertime and things are happening and crap's oh, going I on. Oh, this is the first time I'm hearing. Is this you telling us he won't be he won't be around again? <laughs> no, we'll have another show next. I'm gonna be. I got a couple days that I got to travel. Not travel. I got to do stuff next week, and uh, and then I got And then a week after that, I have to travel for two days to Seattle. And then after that, I wonder anyone would host a show with you. I know it's a wonder. So, but we'll still be able to. You'll, we'll, it'll be flexible enough that we can record around things. So we'll be we'll be all right. But it's been, boy, it's been. So it has been a little crazy. We were both <laughs> on vacation the same week, so it really wasn't only you being a flake. I know, but you were you were back from Little Italy, like way before right. I was back from the coast. So, <clears throat> well, how was Little Italy, by the way? How'd that go? How was your how was your time with your family? Um, Wait, no, whose family was it? Was it with your family? It's Andrea's family. Okay. It's my wife's family. It was actually great. It was our best vacation in a long time. We didn't go last year because Andrea was so pregnant. You know, we were just like, <laughs> we're not going to go to the beach, obviously. You are so pregnant. She, she was due like in, in August, <laughs> and we usually go in August, oh, July okay. or August. Right. So this year we went in July. But um, no, it was great. It was nice to get away. You know, this is, you know, there are four kids ages five and under, right? So that, that are in this house. So it's oh. our, it's our one year old. She's almost a year old. Right. It's, um, our three and a half or almost four year old. And then it's a, a three year old and then a five year old. So it's a little chaotic, wow. but it was nice. Wow. So, uh, but you guys, everything went fine. Nobody drowned. There wasn't any, 
Yeah, there, there were no big fights there was to tell no about. Real, oh, no, no my mother in law left her phone by accident after we left and they had to mail it back to her. But that was the worst drama. There was no drama. So, like, do you guys do politics and stuff when you're with your family? Or is that something you can um, talk about? Is we this... do. Well, I am the only. So, I would say it's tough because my. Well, I don't know. I don't want to give people's political persuasion. Very few people are Republicans in my wife's family. Let's put it that way. So, well, but the they're conversations... they're New York New York Italians, right? Right. Yeah. So yeah, good luck. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's a very few very few Republicans, and also very very few conservatives. But we have good conversations. Well, you know, I good. disagree with a lot of people but we, in the family, but we have really really good. You know, Trump came up quite a bit, and we had you know everywhere I am, I sound like a rabid Trump supporter, even though well, I'm not, because I have to sure try you're to not. help people. What, what are you you know, because the whole world is like Trump is going to destroy the country, and yeah, it's a disaster. They're both awful candidates, yeah. but at the end of the world, at the end of the day, I think some of <laughs> I just said end of the world. Maybe that was a Freudian <laughs> slip. At the end of the you're Mr. End's time. You're Mr. End times. You would know. Some of us, I think, are a little over the top on. Like one person in my family is like, I just think if he wins, he's just going to quit like he does everything else. And I'm like, well, I don't think that's I don't think he's going to quit. I don't know that that's I, I guess that's just a weird <laughs> theory, like why you wouldn't vote for somebody. You think he's going to quit. But, yeah, the, there were, so we had good conversations. All what right. about you? Did you I, guys politic? Well, we do some, but excuse me. You got what thing you got to understand about my family. You know, this, you know, this a little bit. We're all for the most part, at least on my mom's side, uh, hardcore right wing evangelical nut jobs. I mean, we're all, so there's lots of d loud discussion in our family. Like Christmas time is nuts and vacation time is nuts. And you'd think that we're with as loud as obnoxious and verbose as it is. You'd think that we're not getting along and we're fighting. We're not, we're all agreeing, just agreeing very loudly. <laughs> so <laughs> no, we do have some disagreements. Like I have, I have, I have family <clears throat> members who are very passionately supporting Trump because they're so anti-Hillary, which is fine. Um, so yeah, we've see, had, I don't get the some, passion on either candidate. Oh, really? So we've so we've had we've had big discussions, you know, loud discussions about that, but not on this vacation. This vacation, it was my folks, and then my wife and I, and our three little monsters, and my sisters, and then my, one of my mom's four brothers, and his wife, and their four kids, and his wife's his wife's parents. So there were seventeen of us, and it was in a. Uh, all at one place in in seaside in seaside Oregon, and we had we had a blast. We had a ton of fun. We talked politics some, but mainly because like I never my my wife will call me a liar, but if she really thinks about it. It's the truth. I don't bring politics up around family because I know somebody else is going to bring it up and ask me my opinion on things because this is my job. Right. But exactly. I I rarely bring it up because I'm so sick. I get so sick of tired and talking about it. And they want insight, and then they give their thoughts on it, which. Your thoughts are just as their thoughts are just as valid as mine, I guess, or just as or have as much weight as mine, I suppose. But it it's it's amazing how because I'm because you and I are steeped in this stuff and we have to pay attention to this stuff all the time. We listen to our families and friends say things when they've got other jobs and other real lives, <clears throat> and you go, really, that's not the case. And it gets so tiresome to have to correct things, you know. It's like well. well but, and I don't you and at I, least with, have that you at least have people, I think, in your family who are exposed to some of this stuff. So even if they're oh, saying yeah. things that aren't they kind of understand it. Right. Whereas and, and this is not a put down on anybody, it's my view is that when you live in, in New York and you live in this region and you've only grown up here and you don't know a lot of Christians or conservatives, right. you kind of 
don't understand the issues at all. So it's not it's hard to even have the conversation because you have to try to explain what religious liberty is and why it matters. Yeah. You know, so like there was a there's a little bit of that that went on, which was nice. I mean, they were good conversations, yeah. but you know, well, why do you think your religious liberty is under attack? And it's like, well, I might not feel that right now where I'm sitting here, but other people in California, in right. Iowa, and other places where these things are happening definitely do feel that. Um, and whether mine or yours or anybody's is under attack, it matters because that's what our country was built on. Right. Right. Exactly. So. Exactly. Um, those kind that's a little hard for me sometimes to be honest, but overall it's great vacation. We had great discussions Good. and things. Let me ask you this, and this is vacation. This is just generally vacation related, uh, or maybe you can tell me whether or not Andrea does this. If my wife tried to annoy me more, she, she couldn't when it comes to packing, is your wife completely incapable of packing? Like my with, with any sort of efficiency or effectiveness, um, she is an Italian and is obsessive and has to pack it her way. So I want to pack it my way. She wants to pack it her way. So, you know, and, and I will say I was outraged because no, no, let me just let me just explain to you what came on this vacation with us. Okay. I refused to strap it into the top of my car, mainly because oh, I yeah. felt way too lazy to do it. So it had to fit it's, in. It's obnoxious. It had to fit in the car. Exactly. I agree. We were going totally four agree. hours away, okay, three and a half yeah. hours away. This is not, we're not going to Zimbabwe. We don't need food supplies for three months. <laughs> she was so oh, worried no. that our three and a, that our four-year-old would be, would have a hard time and would need things. She spent all of this money on Amazon, which I had no clue this was going on, oh, dear. over like a period of a month. And you know those giant plastic bins? Like I'm talking big oh, no. plastic bins filled with toys and kid stuff. And that took <sighs> up half the trunk first of all. So we were leading with that. And then we have this obnoxious beach thing. It's called the Wonder Wheeler. I don't know if you have one. No, what is this? It's it's this stupid thing that folds up with these giant tires, so it makes it impossible to fit it anywhere. And the Wonder Wheeler is supposed to wheel all of your garbage to the beach. So your beach chairs, it is kind of cool. You can put everything on it. Oh, so but it's, got, it's it, got big wheels then, so it's not digging right. into the sand. So, well, half of the car is the Wonder Wheeler and the giant plastic bin, which uh, looks like it's, which looks like it's an Operation Blessing but, donation bin that's but, coming to the beach with us. But that's got to be more operation. <laughs> like it was completely <laughs> a Toys for Tots kind of thing. It was absurd. So, and her plan that's gotta was that's got to take up more than she, half. That's got to take up more than half the back of your rig. It was awful. Oh. And so now we got there fine. We couldn't see out the window, but get, we had more to go home with. And I finally called her. I was like, you need to come out here because I, the Wonder Wheeler isn't fitting and I can't shut the car. And you, so she's actually, she was helpful on the way back. And I ranted and raved about the plastic bin, why we were going home with it and why it was still filled with stuff that garbage that we should have just given to Operation Blessing. Um, so they, just a second. Um, so do you find yourself when you're packing? Now she packs her things, but you, do you pack the car? Yeah. I mean, okay. we, she, well, no, she wants to come out and supervise it because oh. she has to be her way, uh, because the formula and the whatever for the baby has to be in a specific place. She needs right. to know where everything else. But, but this time I, I did most of the, I did most of the packing on the way home. She definitely came out and helped because I was going right. to lose my mind over the bin, but no, she completely annoys me with packing. It's, <laughs> it's. Now, I pack my bag in like five minutes. Like I throw my clothes in, I throw what I need in, and I'm good. So I'm packed in a second. She does have the bulk, obviously, I'm sure your wife too, of packing the kids yeah, and all that, yeah, which yeah. is crazy. And I and that's and that's why I give her give my wife 
a little bit of a pass that, and I don't want an all-out fight. Do you find yourself muttering to yourself as you're yes. packing? Like, are you the same? I'm like, yes. No, I'm more is, pissed off on all vacation. Bags? What's, what's all these bags? I don't understand. What is... Could you do something that makes sense? I find myself saying that yeah. to myself yeah. as I why are, as I'm why do we have so much stuff that we're bringing with us? There right. were some things I'm like we're not bringing. Oh, no, how not how did you possibly think it was a good idea to pack it this way? Or why did you, and like, like in a plastic bin? My, my, oh, oh, I've got I've got you beat, my friend. I think, so, but I'll get to that in a minute. But my wife will say, "Okay, all these bags are ready. Okay, those are all things that'll go on the top. What about suitcases? Oh, those aren't done yet. I can't pack." The suitcases, the large things have to go on the bottom. Okay, well, I'll get that done. She gets those done. She says, okay. And then I find out we're taking a giant cooler with us full of, of food, <laughs> which I didn't realize. She probably had said it, and I didn't realize it. You weren't listening. I probably wasn't listening. However, I said, okay, I'm going to go pack. And she said, all right, I'll go work on the cooler. I said, what cooler? Like the one that goes between our seats? No, no, no. The big green cooler. We're taking that. I said, okay, well, I can't pack until that's ready because that has to go on the bottom. It's a large plastic solid box. It has to right. go on the bottom. Right. So it's like, oh, shoot me now. But here's the thing that my wife does. One of several things, packing-wise, that my wife does that drives me, give, me two, give, give you two. One, she overpacks. Too much crap. All the time, too much crap. Okay. The other thing she does, and she comes by this honestly because her parents do it, and I give her a hard time for it, and she sometimes she just laughs it off, and other times she gets really bothered by me pointing it out, but I'm going to go ahead and point it out here because she doesn't listen. <laughs> you know those reusable shopping bags? They're like uh-huh. crappy crappy canvas, like they're super yes. weak. Oh, yeah, we have okay. a ton of them. Okay. I know all about the, it. Like all these stores now require almost require you to buy at their store, okay? Yeah, we buy them and never use them, but yes, continue. Right. Okay, so we've got... A lot of them in our house. Uh, she packs fifteen th- bags full of things with those. I mean, like, so she's got the kids' suitcases and her suitcase, which is flimsy and doesn't. And there's my suitcase, and there's some other like there's the cooler and things. And then, for instance, a shopping bag full of shoes, like kids' shoes, just <laughs> thrown in there. Just a, just this pile of shoes that she just obviously just went in the in the in the mud room and took all their shoes and just scooped them into this bag, and hands me. I mean, I kid you not, fifteen of these bags. Of full, How full, one of them full. It, one of them it. full of sand toys, and another full of baseball mitts and gloves. And I mean, then this thing's full. It's like, could you just get a larger duffel bag and put a bunch of things in one thing? Because those things are actually built to be packed in cars. These are shopping bags. It's just out. It's outrageous because you can't stack effectively with those things, and then they spill. So you have to tie the tops closed. The the, the to the lambs tie them up, hoping that some stuff doesn't fall out. Anyway, so that's. <laughs> uh, anyway, but I do find myself like an old man just muttering as I'm packing. Why are we bringing this? This doesn't make any sense. Do something that makes sense, you know. Well, it's awful. It's, and then you get there and you're like, you're glad you have some of this stuff, but you're thinking, what? Like the bin just put me over the edge between, because the Wonder <laughs> Wheeler did not fit with the yeah, bin. There was like no way to make it happen. And do you, do you think we should take the stroller? Lucy probably needs the stroller. Don't you think we should take the strollers are the worst thing in the world to pack? Oh, yeah. Because well, they lo- the they're long. And the stroller and beach chairs. Right. They're, they're long. Yeah. They're long and they have wheels and they're all, especially even the ones that are just like fold up umbrella kind of strollers. They're all longer than your vehicle is wide. 
So you have to stack point them diagonally or long ways, which makes them take up even more room. It's so whoever a, whoever creates whoever makes strollers ought to be beat about the head and shoulders because they haven't created one that packs easily. Ugh, and, I hate strollers. They're just and, awful. and we used it three times, maybe. It's like we yeah, went for we eight, eight days like and we used it three times. How many times did you use the, the little the thing with the wheels every day? Yeah, I mean we were at we were at the beach almost every day, so we did. And we had to drive to the beach. It was a that was a production too. But but yeah, it, it's you know did you guys go on the beach? Oh yeah, yeah. Our place was right on the beach. Oh yeah, on, I saw your giant was, sandcastle. Yeah, our place was right on made. the beach. Yeah. So. Um <laughs> No, it was a good vac it was it nice was to nice. go. It was a good vacation. It's hard though with you know, you know, it's it's hard right. with a baby to go yeah. to the beach and it's it's it takes you're exhausted by the yeah. end of the day. I also had to work, so I was working Ugh. while I was on vacation. So that really I wrote seventeen articles wow, while I was that week while I was look there. At so you. it was a little crazy. All but right, I good. you know, look. You gotta was, work, work, work. But we had a money. blast and my and my my uncle's four kids who were there, they're all in their mid to upper early to mid twenties. So they're all just, we were playing lots of games. And my three kids who are nine, five, and two just love those four kids and, and, and vice versa. They just, they had a, they had a blast together. And, and one of them, he, he had to, he got there late and had to leave a little bit early. He's a, he plays actually a college football quarterback. I'm not going to say where he goes to school, but so he had practices and things, but it was, my kids love the thought of being around a, you know, a college athlete, <laughs> somebody, somebody cool, not like their dad. So too funny so so let's let's you you brought up trump a minute ago should we go ahead and go go to the trump thing i mean because that let's do it all right just a minute all right what what did you want to talk about about trump there's so much can we start did with you watch it, please did, uh, we can did you watch the convention because it was i watched i watched every i didn't watch the night before last right. i watched i watched thursday and i didn't watch wednesday night um because it was my anniversary but i watched tuesday and thursday oh, yeah, um, not every part of it because frankly some of it's just garbage and boring mm -hmm. but i mean a lot of it is but but the parts that were interesting i did watch and i obviously i have to say i will continue to say this i don't care about the plagiarism charges and all that melania was impressive yeah. i thought her speech was good yep. i think she has consistently been an intriguing character in this whole thing and that right. it's she is a little deeper and more well read than i assumed she would be for some reason yeah. um i don't know why i didn't think she would be but um i've seen a number of interviews and i thought the, i thought the speech was good outside of the two paragraphs she took from michelle obama right i i thought i, I thought she did well she's very she's very she's very likable which is I, I think, I mean, besides just being, yeah. she's like, she's physically attractive, obviously, but she's also just seems like a genuinely likable person. What was I, I met her once at Fox News when I used to do TV hits there. She had, was promoting something um, and I didn't think anything of it. You know, I was like, oh, that's interesting. You know, Melania right. Trump. Um, Are you, I've is, also is met there Donald. Something, just, a minute, just a minute, just a minute. Is there something on your desk rattling? Was, was there an earthquake? Oh, it was my. I'm sorry, it was my mouse pad. Okay, 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 okay. Never mind. Why what, did you think? Because all I heard, I just heard dung, 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 and I thought, well, is my my printer turning on, or do I have something loose on my desk? I couldn't figure out what it was, but it was just you being obnoxious. We're the, mo we're the most professional, professional show in yes. the world. Um, but I thought I think she's interesting, and look. The plagiarism thing only helps her, I think, because every yeah, okay, it's embarrassing, <laughs> but it's all anybody was talking about for days. Right. Well, Melania and, Trump. Well, and the the woman who wrote the speech and uh, who took the blame for plagiarizing it is actually a Democrat who writes speeches, so it's not a surprise that that's the where she would have cribbed the material. But um, I you know we were gone, so I was 
we were gone Monday and then traveling all day Tuesday. Oh, and traveling Tuesday. I forgot to mention that part. Um, so I watched Wednesday night and Thursday night, uh, the full thing. And Wednesday night was a circus. Let me tell you about Tuesday, though, on the way back. Let me transition, quickly transition back. Did you get my text about what we did for on Tuesday? Yes, I did. Okay, it's supposed to be about a five and a half hour trip. Okay, five and a half hours of driving. We left at nine in the morning. We decided there's there is a an outlet mall in Troutdale, Oregon, just just east. This of, already sounds awful. Just east of Portland, which we which we frequently stop at when we're on when we're traveling to vacation or whatever, because it's easy. It's right there off the freeway. And my wife's my 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 uncle's wife, my aunt. Uh, gave my wife the wonderful idea of going to Woodburn, Oregon outlets, which is south of south of Portland. It's only about 10 to 15 miles south of Portland. Actually, it's about 20 to 25 miles, and so it makes it a, almost an hour at least out of the way, which is fine. We had it was it has more stores, so we went there, and we actually spent like a, a few hours there. So we leave at nine in the morning. Guess what time we got home? Eight. What time? Thirty. PM. What should have been a five and a half hour trip plus a couple stops to go potty and get food became a nearly twelve hour trip because we everything stopped. about that sounds awful. <laughs> so okay, let us let us go back. Sorry for that little detour. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, so I, okay, so the the convention. I liked Melania. I thought yeah. she was great. I, I don't, you know, I, look, I don't care what people think about Trump. I think she's an intriguing character in the whole entire thing. Um, what, I didn't watch the Ted Cruz thing. I just read about it mainly because I'm so tired of Ted Cruz. Um, I've been tired of Ted Cruz since the day he was born. But I, it's not that I dislike him. I just don't care. Like, why did you even go to speak? Why are you even showing up? That part of there is part of this that I don't I I admire him for standing by his wife and standing by what he believes. But the other part of me is sort of like, okay, well, the only reason in a million years you would do this is because you want to make a splash. You want your name out there. You you are doing nothing. He's doing nothing. And you might disagree. Feel free to benefit the party at this point, because what has been decided has been decided and the people have spoken. So you're talking about you're talking about Cruz. Yes. No, I see. I, I disagree. I liked I liked his speech, and people want to say, "Well, you know, he should be endorsed, and just like Reagan endorsed, you know, on Ford." Well, Reagan didn't endorse Ford. He didn't come out and endorse Ford. Didn't happen. He came out and gave a similar a speech similar to what Cruz was attempting to give until he was rudely interrupted by a, an incredibly rude and obnoxious crowd, uh, a group of rude rubes who will fall for anything. Um, uh, that that was not on Cruz. That was on Trump. The Trump people knew what was happening. The Trump people booked him to speak. They knew what he was going to speak about. They had his speech. I don't care if Donald Trump has changed his story today and says Cruz added language to his speech. I don't care what Trump has. I don't believe Trump when he comes to, when he's saying that. They knew it was coming. This is this is on Donald Trump. This is not on Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz I didn't think it's endorse not all of them. Ted Cruz Why didn't endorse Ted. Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz. Wait, wait, wait. Because he's a. Because his people are a huge part of that crowd that was there, right? And the, they are the Republican conservative, the conservative base of the Republican Party. That's why he was speaking. Scott Walker got up and mentioned mentioned Donald Trump, endorsed him, and then went on to say nothing about Donald Trump and to not praise Donald Trump at all. 
and just to speak about his record and what record of the Republican Party has been. Ted Cruz got up, congratulated Donald Trump on the win, never said one bad thing about Donald Trump, and then spoke about the principles that the Republican Party allegedly believes in, all of which was well-received by the, by the crowd until he got to the end and said, when November comes, every, do not stay home. You need to go vote. They got excited. And then he said, vote your conscience. And at that, they lost their marbles. They just went, because it, they went ape excrement. It is, and I understand what you're saying. I'm I'm not condemning him necessarily, but it is intentionally trying to provoke something. No, and he's coming out and yes, saying, it is. Oh, I don't, no, 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 no. I don't he, think, look, I don't think the, he went with, the, I don't think you, I think. He, you have two look, options, look, Hillary or Donald. Right, he that's went, it. I, I, think, I think he went in knowing, knowing that it was, uh, what was the term you used? Provoking. He, he knew, he knew it would provoke, but not with the intention of provoking. Yes, he had the intention. No, I don't think he had the provoking. intention of provoking. I had yes, the intention. I think he had intention of laying out. Here's our principles. Just oh, as ridiculous. Ronald Reagan had no intention of provoking. And by the way, Jerry Brown in 1992 came oh, out. Wait and a minute, gave, wait a minute. Jerry Brown in 1992 at the wait. Democratic convention when he got beat by Clinton came out and gave a very pro-Democrat speech and never once endorsed Bill Clinton. Okay, but... Let's compare, and I don't know because I can't remember the specifics of all of the relationships of these people. Trump and Cruz have a very contentious relationship, yeah, partially yeah. because Trump has said some insane things right. and some awful things, and, and Trump is wrong for that. But the relationships are very different. So if you're going to get on the stage at a time when that party, and I'm not a member of the Republican Party, but when that party needs unity more than anything else, right. and you're going to get up and intentionally say something like that, you have he didn't to intentionally say, He intentionally didn't say something. He no, no, intentionally, he intentionally didn't. No, he intentionally said, didn't come out conscience right. knowing knowing he didn't even have to say that why did you why did he even go there why did he even go because there? He, because he went now there. here's you know here's here's part here's part of the caveat that he could offer he says vote your conscience up and down the ballot he's telling people it doesn't matter if if you essentially if you vote vote or, or not on the republican presidential ticket vote on everything else Vote up and down on the ballot. Vote your conscience. There's a lot. And he's speaking to people like me and reminding me, even if you don't support Donald Trump, even if you don't, you need to come out and vote up and down the ballot. Vote your conscience up and down the ballot and make sure you get it taken care of. Don't stay home in November. What's, what is actually more provoking? Ted Cruz coming out and speaking his, speaking his mind fairly and eloquently and laying out the principles that the party allegedly believes in or the governor of the state where the convention is happening refusing to even attend what I says, what says think, more i actually respected not attending more i think it sends a better message that he doesn't no, have to say anything that sends less that sends a worse message about unity and the, the the disruption of unity the whole idea the whole the whole message that the party is not united was not was not coming from from Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz never said one thing that was not unifying. You know what? Ted it was Cruz the crowd. It was the idiotic crowd. It was the crowd of rubes. The crowd of rubes' reaction to Ted Cruz that was the problem. Oh, look! I'm not defending the reaction. I'm saying that Ted Cruz intentionally sparked a reaction, knowing that that would happen. He knew he had to. Of if he didn't, he's an idiot, and he's not an idiot. He's a very smart guy who's argued before the Supreme Court. <laughs> so the fact is, he knew what he was doing. He so, went in and chose to so do that. Then, That's fine. That's so his then, choice. It's what I don't like about Ted Cruz. Okay, though. this so is then, what I don't. So then, let me ask you this: Let's let's say that tr so let's say that that is true. Okay. 
then some of the blame can be laid at Ted Cruz if that's that's true. What about the the Cruz the Trump people who let him speak and agreed six, three weeks ago you don't have to endorse just come speak and had read the speech before Cruz gave it well, and I had don't approved trust any and had them, approved. So I don't I don't know who to believe. I don't really trust anybody involved in this. I don't. Several members of the campaign, including Paul, including Manafort, who's the campaign the campaign chairman, said we've read it. There's not a problem with it. Did he not? Did he change it? Do we know he? De- Do you know 100 that he didn't add anything or change it? Ted Cruz, not Ted Cruz, Trump and his minions, including Manafort, all came out and said this is this is the speech that he gave. That this this we knew this was coming. This is not a problem. And it wasn't till today, from Wednesday evening until this morning, nobody said anything that anything had been changed until Donald Trump said in a press conference this morning, speaking off the cuff and still com- continuing to promote the the idiotic reporting of the National Enquirer and still continue to question Ted Cruz's father's connection to the JFK assassination. <laughs> Which is and, ridiculous. And blasting Heidi Cruz. Continue to relitigate all that nonsense. This morning, speaking off the cuff, then says, oh, and Ted Cruz changed it. He added stuff to it. This is all off the cuff. Even though he had said Wednesday evening, this is not a shock. We knew this was coming. He, we saw the speech ahead of time. Still approved it. No big deal. That was Ted's... That was... That was... That was uh, Trump's response to Ted Cruz's speech and the reaction that the crowd had to that speech. Are you 100% convinced then that nothing was added or changed? I am. So look, because I, I watched, still, uh, did you watch? Approved, I watched, like I watched him, I watched the speech and he was, you could see him reading from the teleprompter. Look, even if it was approved, I just, I actually like the decision of not going. That to me, if you really are that opposed, this is who your party chose. The party did not choose you. You are so opposed. You've had this awful, you know, why would you, why even attend? That, that's my take on it. Now, I, I also am not a, a huge Ted Cruz fan. I don't dislike him. I just don't like him. So for me, it's sort of like, yeah, of course, Ted Cruz probably wants to run in 2020. So that he made a big splash at the RNC. And, that, you know, that's how, to me, it felt. Now, I didn't watch. I only watched clips. So I, right. that's all I can say. Right. But I, I think the entire thing is a debacle. The entire thing is a mess. But what's done that's, is done. No, that is true. <laughs> what's done is done. And I think this continued. And I say this every week on the show. This continued never Trump drama of I'm, I have so much political efficacy that I'm not going to vote. and People are going to care. No one cares. No one gives a damn. Don't vote. But no one cares. <laughs> like nobody really cares whether you vote or not. The only thing that that accomplishes is not offering support to one candidate and essentially by proxy offering support to another. And I believe that firmly and I'm not going to move on it. So you can go ahead and try to dissuade me. You're a, you're a rabid Trump supporter and you're a lunatic. <laughs> Now I'm, I'm again. I'm not a never Trumper. Okay, I'm simply not a never Trumper. But he. Did, all the, wait a minute. Wait, wait, this, wait. This convention did not help him in my in my eyes. I now l- let me say though, I was impressed I by the kids. I, I was, I was impressed by the the kids by his kids. Now that doesn't mean that they're not liars. They could possibly all be pulling the wool over our eyes. That's very possible. But what I saw presented at the convention, and again presented at the convention a scripted convention on national television. I was impressed by his kids. Very impressed. I'm always impressed by his kids. They're yeah. as big as asset. No, but that I don't said, I don't, I didn't, I didn't like Ivanka's, I didn't like Ivanka's speech though. It's very, very big government, the gender wage gap and all this, you know, free childcare. It's all terrible. I don't mind the child care stuff, but I didn't like the gender wage gap. I think the child care thing is, look, if Americans want it, Americans want it. And right. I understand there's a debate about big government, small government. Right. And, and I think that it's something that, that at some point needs to be 
explored. And, and whether there's a private option or a public option, that should be where the debate is. But I think we've pretty much settled, I assume, that Americans want something. So rather than not talking about it, it's probably time to talk but about I think, it and figure but I think, out. But I think that she that shouldn't have been her her thing. If that's a policy that the party wants to go after, then the people who are running for office should talk about it. And people who are experts on or whatever, right? But uh, what I liked about her speech was what she had to say about her dad. I mean, just the the, the kind things. It could have she could have she could have spent half the time up there and and been really impressive by just talking about her dad and what a quality guy she says that he is. I want to just make one really quick point. Okay. And I love all my Never Trump friends. I love you all, Pedro. I'm sure you're listening, but I don't want to hear one of these people. I don't know if Pedro is still Never Trump, but if he is, I respect it. Whatever. But I don't want to hear one of them complain about the Supreme Court decisions that will come after a Hillary Clinton presidency is the result of four, three, four, two, who knows however many justices making those. I don't want to hear any complaints from anybody on the conservative what, side. What about, will, and, will you eat those Will you eat those words if Trump's justices no. are bad? No, I won't, because here's the thing. You have two choices, okay? There are two crap sandwiches. You have to eat the one that smells the least bad, and that's where we are. And so you make you take your chances on what you have. You don't one. have another I'll just, option. I'll just not eat. You can write... You can write Tinky Winky in, or you can leave it blank. It doesn't right. matter. One of them will be president. Like, right. this is not right. rocket science. It's right. so, this is what enrages me about people. You don't have political advocacy. Nobody cares. Nobody cares if you don't vote. No one. <laughs> Only you. Then why are you being so passionate about getting people to go out and vote? And telling well, the never Trumpers that they're clowns. I thought it didn't matter. I thought you, you didn't should, care. My point is, you should vote. I've changed my mind. You should vote. Right. And I have you said, just said nobody. You just said nobody. You just said nobody cares. Too. You just said nobody cares. No, no, no. Nobody cares if you don't vote. The thought is, if I don't vote, I have you so obviously much power. care. If you say, no, no, if you say everybody should vote, then you do care if they don't. No, no, vote. no, no, no. I care if people vote. I'm saying if you're saying I'm not going to vote. If you're saying my vote, me not voting matters so much. No, you not voting doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to your not cause. voting it matters, matters as much. Hillary Clinton. Whoa, whoa. Voting matters as much as not voting. No, no, you're not getting my point. Uh, okay, <laughs> I am saying obviously if you don't vote, it matters in that it's going to it's going to lend support over to Hillary by not giving another vote against Trump if that's where you stand. Now I would actually I support people voting for Hillary or Trump. I think you need to pick one. That's what I think. What if I don't but want either one of the, them? But the reason people aren't voting is because they think. That they have this, well, there's a couple things going on. There's this assumption somehow that there's this religious test that suddenly applies to voting that if you vote for uh, a bad uh, person, uh, you're not uh, a good Christian. Uh, 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 uh. Um, but you are, which is not. I, now, that's true. I, I don't think that voting for one or the other makes you a, a good Christian or a bad Christian. Let me say, though, I, as a Christian, I believe that, but I do believe that my vote is a part of my record that I have to explain to be able to explain. But you have, no other, you have no other. I'm accountable You have two options. No, you have I would. Three. I would wonder. You have three. Abstaining. Well, third, abstaining third is option means nothing. Abstaining That's is point. an abstaining is an option. If they're but both. It means listen, nothing. but see, this is the this is the difference. I'm not like Glenn in that. If Jeb Bush had been the nominee, I probably would. I would vote for Jeb Bush, right? But here's the thing. I it's not. I wouldn't vote for Jeb. I would vote for Jeb Bush because I'm willing to put up with Jeb Bush. I don't want Hillary willing to put up with Jeb Bush. The the fact is the difference is I don't want Hillary and I don't want I don't want Donald Trump. But one of them is going to oversee your country that you live in and is going I don't to impact want, your tax policy. I don't policies. want either of them. So but why one would of I, them is going to be. So why not pick the lesser of two? Because you ha because one of them is going to be that third option. Because that my abstaining, because that my vote matters. Vote because my matter. vote matters just as much as you said it does, which is not much, and especially not in Washington State. 
My my vote on the ballot matters on every matter in New York either. Every, everything everything else on the ballot matters, but the presidential one in Washington State does not matter as far as my vote is concerned. Well, imagine if every evangelical showed up to vote, maybe it would matter. Maybe it's it would. Washington State. You're talking about the most unchurched. You're talking about the just about most unchurched state in the union. It would well, matter. Okay, my point is the country as a whole. But look, I'm having fun getting outraged about something I'm not really all that outraged about. <laughs> what outrages me is the assumption that your vote, when I say your vote matters and it matters, I'm talking about the assumption of how powerful people think they are. There's that dynamic. I'm just so powerful. You know, I have this power. I'm not going to extend my power to you as a candidate because I don't like you. And then the other factor of my conscience just won't let me vote for you. Like, enough, enough. Pick one. <laughs> Pick one. Like, it's so stupid to me that we're even having this discussion. Your, your vote matters in terms of casting a vote for somebody. You do not have some secret Superman power, some Power Rangers power that you're withholding from Trump or Hillary by not so voting. So why does my vote matter, but my non-vote doesn't matter? Or are you just I saying the attitude behind the non-vote? I'm, I'm talking more about the attitude. That's really my issue. I'm saying vote, but I'm talking about the attitude. Okay, so the attitude, the attitude. So the, the attitude, attitude. Wait, wait, wait. The attitude of the people who are not voting, you think, doesn't matter. The the your vote doesn't. What you're what you're saying or voting doesn't matter. But it's the attitude that I'm criticizing. What about the people who say my vote matters and I'm going to get out there and I'm going to fight for Donald Trump. I'm going to stop Hillary. Isn't that the same attitude just on the other side? Well, I mean, isn't it? Isn't I mean, it just as irrelevant? Isn't that just as irrelevant? No, they're no, equally relevant. My point is about withholding a vote. When you vote, you're casting a vote for somebody. When you don't vote right. for president or whoever, but it's you not are about, opting out. Okay, you're but it's not. Out. No, but it's. I, I, there is an opt out, but it's not a withholding my vote from someone. It's neither of them. When you go into an election, and it, because we have a two party system, both candidates, and I use the word both on purpose, both candidates have to work to earn your vote. Neither of them have yet done that for me. But it doesn't matter. It's about you, right? And it doesn't matter. You don't matter in terms of that because one of them will be president. And that's my point. Okay, then. David Jeremiah. Then, what, then why are you getting then why, why Then why are you so worried about this? Because one of them will be president. And I would like it to be the one that's least awful when it comes so, to an issue that matters to me, which is religious liberty. I would say, uh, and here's uh, what I will publicly why, say why, on this show why right do you, now. Okay, go ahead. David Jeremiah, Eric Metaxas, almost every single person we've had on the show gets exactly what I'm saying, and I agree with them. Where I will not agree with them is on telling people which person I think they should vote for. I think you should vote. You should choose Hillary or you should choose Trump. That's it. I think you need to pick one. I'm not going to say I think it should be Trump or I think it should be Hillary. I will vote for one of them. I have changed my mind. I have previously said I will not vote. I will vote for one of them. And you can go out and guess who you think that's going to be. But – I think I think everyone should choose one. I think there is a responsibility there. I think the assumption that not voting has some sort of secret power <laughs> the only power it, the only power it has is guaranteeing that that one of the one of the candidates will win, the one that you would essentially oppose because there's, there's a person I would imagine you agree with less, no? Well, it depends on the subject matter. Overall, there's one that I agree agree with less, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I, I, I mean, think for most I was, people, okay, they that. but that's but that, excuse me, that that disagreement, that that disagreement with one more than the other assumes that the one that I disagree with less is actually telling the truth, and I th and that's my that's a big issue that I have, and I raised it in the interview that we did with Eric, and, and I will raise it again. Why do you expect me to believe the good things he's promising and to not believe the bad things he's promising? What is well. 
I mean, that's that's asinine. Well, I would say this. You I mean, have two the, options. The, 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 Again, the fact have... is, I probably disagree with Trump almost as much or as much as I disagree with Hillary. Well, then you have a real conundrum. I would say for me, one of them, what they are saying, you can only go based on rhetoric. I know I could take a chance. I could vote for one. There's one candidate who I know 100% everything that candidate is going to do or most of it is opposed to what I personally believe. Sure. The other one's a toss-up. Right. So to me, it's a better, you know what? They're both crap okay, sandwiches so, again. Right. One smells a little bit more like... So, Right. It's now, no, no, here's now let me let me present this. Everything that you know Hillary supports because she's come out she has either actively supported it or she has come out and said she supports it, right? You pretty much oppose her on just about everything, okay? Trump, you agree with him on a lot of the things he's saying, though you don't trust that he's actually going to do it. I mean to be to be totally totally honest, you don't trust that he's actually going to do it. For one, he's a politician, he's running for president, they make promises all the time that they they know they can't keep. But he's espousing things he has never believed or espoused before until this race. But he has come out and said, and his speech Thursday night <clears throat> highlighted it, that he is an authoritarian and that he is dangerous and that he is a, what some people have called, I don't think he's a fascist. Some people have called him a neo-fascist. Some people he has fascist tendencies, but he has an authoritarian streak that is dangerous. So... I, Hillary, though, has not come out and said those things. Do I think she believes those things? Yeah, I think she probably does. But she hasn't come out and explicitly said them. He's come out and explicitly said these authoritarian things that we both disagree with. So, I mean, the things that he's come actually come out and said, he's come out and said some horrible things that I horribly disagree with that Hillary hasn't had the, testic the testicular fortitude to come out and say herself. Well, But, that, but that's me being a, a crazy, you know questioning trumper i'm i'm oh, you not have to go, as don't you? i don't I, I look i look at it more as one of them is going to be so it's just it is what it is yeah, and yeah, yeah. i have to figure out which one i would quit rather living have in, quit living in reality and join me in in the land of make-believe billy <laughs> i love pretending to get so angry okay so let's uh let's take a break right here and then um and we will come back and then you can introduce the inter the interview that we've got to go on and then we'll try to wrap it up all right i know you got to get out of here in a minute Whatever. Does that work for you? All right, Slappy. Just Never failed. The founder of this company, 10 years ago, was trying to sell his house. He's, you know, he's kind of an important guy. And he said to his wife, if this is what it's like for us, how do people who have no clout ever get around this? So he started a company and it went into business, I think, three years ago. Their deal is, their word is their bond. And they are people that listen to this show. They are just like you. Now, how can I say that? Because I'm the founder of the company. Realestateagentsitrust.com The church boys. Man, I hate these guys. So we actually have an interview that is not having anything to do with Trump. I know that's probably what? very sad what? Um, is that allowed? for some people. Uh, but basically, I wanted to find somebody we could talk with who would not be political. And so what we did was we, we tracked down James Ackerman. He is the incoming um, CEO and president of Prison Fellowship, which okay. is a minist Christian ministry that deals with prison policy, but also helping prisoners and their families, helping them while they're incarcerated when they get out, helping them find their faith and get their life on track, but also kind of figuring out which laws they believe are not very just and trying to maneuver around those laws. Is that Chuck, um, so, is that Chuck Colson's group? 
Was I think it Chuck was Chuck Colson? Colson's group. Yeah, it was. Um, or it is rather. I the late he, Chuck Colson. Yeah, he's dead. So yeah, mad dead. But yeah. Um. So there you go. And and honestly, this guy's interesting because James Ackerman, who starts August first with leading the organization, he's been volunteering for years with them. But he also has a media and entertainment background, which is kind of interesting. So he's coming from media and entertainment into this ministry position, which is just an intriguing thing. So. I won't ruin it anymore. I will force Chris's hand to now play it for you. It's Billy Hollowell here with the Church Boys podcast, and I have James Ackerman on the line. He's the incoming president and chief executive officer of Prison Fellowship. How are you doing today, James? Billy, I'm doing really well. And you? I'm good. I'm good. So I'm I'm really fascinated by your background in media and entertainment and then your I don't know if it's an evolution because you've been you've been volunteering and working with Prison Fellowship for a, a long time now. But this move, you know, full time into leading Prison Fellowship, I'm fascinated by that. So I guess I want to where I want to start with this is to ask you, what is it about Prison Fellowship that drew you in as a volunteer and that has led you to the decision of wanting to lead the organization? Well, there's there's a lot in that. So I'm an adult convert. I became a Christian at the age of 22. And I made a decision when I became a Christian, when I was very early in my career, uh, at the very starting point of my career in media. I made a decision that if God ever called me to go into full-time ministry, I would do it. Um, And, you know, I went on to work in the media industry for nearly 30 years, and then suddenly I got that call. And I'll come back to that in in a minute. what drew me to Prison Fellowship in the first place was a fortuitous meeting, one of those divine appointments, if you will, where I was at a father-son retreat 12 years ago with our son Holden, and I met a guy named Dick Paulson who ran development for Prison Fellowship. He's still with Prison Fellowship, but on the program side now. And uh, I said to Dick, I always had this fascination with prison ministry, but I never had time to do anything. And then I corrected myself, and I said, well, actually, I never made the time to do anything about it. And he said, well, I can help you fix that. He goes, let's go to prison together. So we did. We went and visited a prison fellowship program, and I was absolutely transfixed by it. I couldn't believe it. The transformation that was taking place in these people's lives, uh, and, 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 and men who were ran the gamut of, of infractions uh, that led them to, to imprisonment in the first place, um, were gracious with each other, opened the door for each other, um, you know, spoke in quiet tones, uh, prayed for each other. And I was like, this is amazing. And I went on to look and observe the rest of the general population at this facility. And and it was like you would expect. Everybody had their game face on, broken up by race on the, on the yard, you know, all of that. And it was a completely different kind of world. But but those people who were in the prison fellowship program had gone through real transformation. And I realized these people matter. And Jesus calls us in Matthew 12 to visit those who are in prison. And so I thought, man, I am into this. And so I became a prison fellowship volunteer. And I have been for 12 years. Well, that's, you know, and, and very rarely, I mean, it's fascinating that you sort of enter as a volunteer, and here you are, you're going to take it over. I mean, you're going to be the chief executive officer. That's sort of a rare thing, and I think it's a fascinating thing, and it shows, for an organization like Prison Fellowship, it shows the power of what that group is doing. You just, you just described some of that. 
um, and that that power sort of drew you in uh, and made you want to become more involved. I guess, you know, let me just ask you, and you hinted to some of it, but what are some of the activities, some of the, the ministry activities that Prison Fellowship is involved in, just so listeners can get an idea if they're not too sure? Yeah, so we take a very holistic approach to serving the needs of inmates and their families. And so what that means is we start with providing people an opportunity to experience the living God, to hear the gospel message, to have an opportunity to accept Christ as their Savior. But then we begin to disciple people, and we take them through training. So they learn about their faith, they learn about um, understanding victims' perspectives, they learn to understand what it really means to be a man or a woman, they learn life skills, practical life skills that they can use when they're provided or if they're provided an opportunity to live on the outside again. We build bridges with the community on the outside so the volunteers from the outside are coming into prison to help us facilitate these things, and we equip them with training and materials that they can use. Further, we serve families through programs like Angel Tree, which provides and delivers Christmas gifts to children of inmates on behalf of those inmates and also run camps in various parts of the country for children of inmates so they can go to camp. Um, and, and then lastly, we have an advocacy team that advocates for fair justice in the justice system. So our team spends time on Capitol Hill and in the major state capitals around the country trying to advocate for fair sentencing guidelines or providing better opportunities for people when they leave prison to be able to find work and housing and all of those things. So, um, so we take this very holistic approach to addressing, addressing uh, the needs of inmates and their families. You know, one of the things that I found really fascinating in the last few days is there was a poll that came out. And I don't know how much you want to speak to this because it's a, it's a little bit removed, but I think it's interesting yeah, I think it was the Barna Group. They assessed, you know, where Americans stand on police and police brutality and being afraid of the police and all of that. And evangelicals, by far, from every other, you know, religious group and also Americans more broadly, differed in that they weren't as afraid of the police. They weren't as worried about the police. They did. They also weren't as worried about being the victim of, you know, police brutality. And it's just interesting because it's it's a it's such a complicated um, area, and, and I'm always fascinated, as a lifelong evangelical, why evangelicals stand out on some of these issues. Are there, and I don't know if you want to speak to that, but I think the second part of it, which is related, are there barriers and, and difficulties to getting other Christians as a ministry to understand the issues? Um, or have you, have you guys, I know you're coming in August 1st, but you've been a part of this for a long time. Have you had a lot of success in being able to do that easily, you know, relay those issues? You know, I, it's really part of the, of the process that we have the least experience with because we, our journey with an inmate becomes, starts when that person becomes an inmate. That's our first opportunity to, to, to provide services to minister to somebody. Um, and that, that is usually long uh, before uh, or long after they've had an interaction with police. So Prison Fellowship hasn't had a lot of dealings with, with police departments per se. We're much more involved with departments of corrections. Um, what I will say, I'll give you a stat or two stats that I think are important for us to think about that are somewhat related to this whole conversation that are closer to where prison fellowship is. And the first is that 
the United States represents 5% of the world's population, but we house 25% of the world's incarcerated. So that's stat number one. Stat number two that I think is really important is that 13 to 14% of our citizenry is African-American, but 40% of our prison population is black. And so those are areas that need to be addressed, and the solutions are not easy. They're very, very complicated. Um, and they require the ability for people from all different perspectives, whether it's law enforcement, the African-American community, leaders in the African-American community, um, city governments, state governments, federal government, nonprofits like Prison Fellowship to come together, listen to each other, and try to come up with real workable solutions. Yeah, and, and I think that you, you bring up some interesting you know, elements. I feel like everybody, when they talk about this, and I'm by no means an expert, I look at polls, I, I love to analyze things as, as a journalist, but you know, it, it's, it's sort of like the, the instant reaction to that is, well, the system is completely you know, flawed and it's all about racism. And then the other solution that the other side will say is, well, it's only about poverty and it's only about, you know, it seems like there's so many different factors that probably lead Absolutely. to that, right? So you know, everyone wants a black or white answer. It's not necessarily black or white, but, um, you know, and then there's that 500%. No, but your your point, your point is the point. The point you just made is the core point, which is this, these kinds of problems don't get solved by people taking positions. They get solved by people sitting around, being humble, bipartisan, taking a bipartisan approach and saying, okay, let's roll up our sleeves and see if we can't find workable solutions to these kinds of problems. Yeah, no, and, and like, of course, you know, in any community where there's high poverty, and I know we actually just had a conversation about this on the show and we had a debate about it, my co-host and I, yeah, the assumption is where there's poverty, there there will be higher levels of crime, and, and some people will dismiss that. I've seen people try to dismiss that and say, well, no, that's not necessarily true, um, but, you know, th- this, this is complicated. It's an extremely complicated issue, and I know the one thing that really stuck out to me, though, is a statistic, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think, and you may have just mentioned part of this, but this 500% increase in incarceration over the past 40 years. Um, yeah. You know, when Chuck Colson went to prison, or, you know, the, the, you know, his involvement with Watergate, there are half a million people incarcerated in the United States. Today is 2.2 million. Do why do we think? And I know this is like another. It's, it's sort of asking a question that probably has a million answers again. But why do we think that is? Are there specific things? Because I know um, I've seen some quotes from you and from others saying that there really are some laws that are not fair on the books. You know, what are some of the reasons for that massive increase? So you'll remember the tough on crime laws that got put in place largely in the 1980s um, that were that. It helped a lot of politicians come to office because they got tough on crime. But there were a lot of elements to the tough on crime that people didn't think through. And one was just fairness and appropriateness, right? So, um, you know, there were three strikes laws that were put in place that if you were convicted three times, you were going to get a life sentence. Well, what? Wait, if I get convicted for shoplifting three times because I'm a bit of a, you know, you know maniac that I'm going to go to prison for life? I mean, this just can't be right, right? Or laws, and a lot of this is beginning to change, which is the good news, but laws like in New York where one gram of crack cocaine was the equivalent in the eyes of the 
right? It wasn't the white Wall Street executive with a bag baggie of cocaine in his pocket. It was the African American guy in Harlem with three rocks in his pocket, right? Yeah. And so the the um, but this is beginning to change, and this is part of what our advocacy group does. Our advocacy group is part of a justice and reform uh, group that is bipartisan on the Hill that is all about, um, you know, trying to implement um, fair and reasonable sentencing laws uh, in the United States and on a state-by-state level. And so um, our approach is very much to work on both sides of the aisle uh, to try to come up with workable solutions that are fair and balanced for people, right? And so a, a, a man who gets convicted of three nonviolent crimes isn't being sent away to prison for life. The other thing is, our states can't afford it. The states just quite simply cannot afford to keep incarcerated as many people as we incarcerate. It costs an average of about $30,000 a person to keep somebody in prison. So coming up with workable solutions that put people back in society and allow them to operate in a productive fashion, and oh, by the way, also, with a complete change in their heart and behavior, and their attitude towards the people, man, mankind around them, is really, you know, one of our, you know, big goals. Yeah, no, I, and I think I think that's fascinating. It's what it's what Christians are called to. I think it's easy to overlook some of these things when they're not impacting you, and and it's like any other issue. Um, so I'm I'm fascinated by the work that you guys do, and the you know, the only other thing I really wanted to ask you about, I, I could probably ask you a million other questions about all of this, but is your own background. I mean, you're sort of a child of Hollywood, and you've worked in media and entertainment, and I think there's such a fascinating element there of somebody who is leaving that world of working in media and entertainment and entering into this world of nonprofit, Christian, on the ground, helping people who have been incarcerated. Is it Was it a hard decision for you to sort of transition out of that former, I'll use the word lifestyle, and, and just take me through that process? Uh, no, it actually wasn't difficult at all. I um, uh, was serving as the executive chairman of a technology company called Broadway Systems uh, for the last couple of years. And in October, we sold the company to a much larger competitor of ours. And uh, about six weeks after we completed that transaction, um, I got an email from the former president CEO of Prison Fellowship who announced that he felt that he was called back into full-time church ministry as a, as a senior pastor, um, and was going to be leaving Prison Fellowship. And so I reached out to the senior team at Prison Fellowship and said, look, if you are if you begin a search process, I'd be interested. And so uh, I went through a many-months vetting process with a search committee appointed by the board and an executive search firm that uh, has worked with Prison Fellowship for decades, um, and eventually was offered the role. But, you know, they're... they're um, you know, they were looking for a leader who had operational leadership experience, and particularly coming out of business, or ideally coming out of the business world. And so I, I bring that to Prison Fellowship. But, but further, I bring the, the passion for the work of Prison Fellowship and the experience of being a, a volunteer with Prison Fellowship and a mentor of incarcerated men. In and outside of prison. Um, and even further, I was a mentoree of Chuck Colson, the founder of Prison Fellowship. So, um, you know, I, it, it, it just felt to everybody like it was a perfect fit. 
Well, I love it. I think that's um, I think that's great, and I think it's a <laughs> it's a pretty amazing way of of sort of flowing from one thing into another. It doesn't sound like it was a difficult uh, decision for you at all. Um, is there anything else you'd want people to know about just you know, your goals moving into this role? Things you're hoping maybe to accomplish that we haven't discussed. We um, the the opportunity for us is um, huge and. Our ambitions are to have programs running in every state of the country in at least one men's and one women's prison. Um, and to, I mean, we have a, a ton of goals, but we're, we're going to need to grow the organization. That means grow the organization financially as well. So we're going to be looking for more people to join us in that and to support that, to support us through their donations. Um, so that's going to be one thing. And the other thing is I ask for people's prayers, you know. Um, there's a whole lot of spiritual darkness that goes, you know, that swirls around, uh, you know, working in, in prisons. And so I just uh, ask for people when they feel led from time to time, your listeners, uh, when they feel led from time to time, just pray for me and pray for our team. I love it. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much for taking the time today and coming on. Absolutely. My pleasure. And thank you for having me. All right, so we are back. We got to get out of here in just a minute, but um, we did want to close with one more story. And it's and parents, if you are, if you are leery about the things that are on television, <clears throat> then this story is for you. Um, Deseret, or Deseret or Desiree? Deseret. I don't know why you always want to make it like that. The singer Deseret. Well, Desiree. See, so, but like. When I went to school, I went to school in Southern Idaho, which is very has a lot of Mormon um, influences there. And there's a Desiree thrift store. We always called it Desiree, even though it's spelled like Deseret News. It's we called it Desiree. That's why I always get confused. So it's Deseret. Deseret has a story about a a new cartoon coming out in Nickelodeon. Billy, what is this crapola? Uh, this is, and look, on one side, you are going to have activists who say, this is important. We need to integrate same-sex couples into entertainment. On the other side, you're going to have people saying, what the hell are you doing? My kids do not need to see that. I'm a parent. I want to control what my kids see. And you're assuming that you can put your kids in front of a TV and not have to deal with some of these social issues. But now that's changing, right? right and right. what we have, two years ago, we had Disney introduce a same-sex couple, lesbian couple, on a show. Um, it was just one episode of a show. It was good. I think it was Good Luck Charlie. I think that was the name of the show. Yeah. And now what we have going on is we have um, Nickelodeon about to do the same thing with a same-sex couple on a cartoon called The Loud House. Um, it's about an 11-year-old kid named Lincoln um, in this unconventional family. Apparently, the same-sex couple is the parents of friends. Um, it's an interracial same-sex couple. Um, and, you know, this is making a lot of headlines because people are sort of intrigued by it. Some people are praising it. Other people are obviously upset about it. Uh, but you have a net... I mean, this is a network that I grew up on. This is not about slamming gay people or... Go but, but I think the, the bigger, broader issue is that kids are now going to be having these themes that are very complicated um, brought to them in a form of entertainment that's going to raise questions that parents might not be ready to answer right. um, or talk about with their kids at that point. Right. That, now, that's the issue I see. Right. Now, and at, at the at the at the uh, the convention for your boy, Donald Trump, who's supposedly this big uh, pro religious liberty fighter, uh, freedom fighter, um, 
Peter Thiel's Thiel spoke and he talked about how we have to avoid talking about this make believe, I guess it was, or pretend social uh, issues war that we're going through, that it's not a big deal to ignore all the social issues yet. This is coming up and I think it's something worth fighting, fighting over, fighting the culture war over. In fact, I believe that you believe that it's worth fighting over so much that you're working on something related to this, aren't you? I am. Right. Well, it, it's, the, the, you know, one of the keynote speakers at the convention Thursday night, just before Trump spoke, talked about how this is not a big deal. Just by the way. Well, you know, so, this so you is, know, I, I just want you to be, to I want to be clear we here. came clear on here. today that right. this, these issues are happening so fast that it's hard to keep up. I'm working on a book, a separate, a second book about all of these issues. And I didn't even plan on touching the, the transgender gay issue, but because it keeps coming up in the context of religious right. freedom and family rights, you can't avoid it. When and, you agreed, when um, you agreed seven years ago to write this book, <laughs> yeah, this was not when I agreed. Stuff. Things were not like this. Um, <laughs> but you know, and I think there's a delicate balance of not going after people or slamming them, but of looking at the rights of parents and also yeah. the influence of media. Yeah. And there are plenty of things you wouldn't put on TV with with kids because you don't want to influence them in a certain way, or you don't want to create conversations right. that are they may be too young to handle. Right. I would say for a lot of parents, this is one of those areas. So why would it be surprising that people would be upset about it? I don't know, but people are surprised, of course. Yeah. Well, they can't understand why anybody would have an issue with this. Right, and I mean. There's a whole lot of things I could say. Did you know bestiality is legal in Washington State? Well, Washington State's a mess. You're it a is. resident, clearly. Yes. So, I mean, it was. I think that the ruling was, as long as you can't prove that the animal didn't enjoy it, it's legal, or something like that. Uh -huh. So, what if that started becoming though part of television shows? And I don't mean showing bestiality, but showing legal behavior or legal home situation on television to children. I mean, how far do we how how far do we take this? I mean, this. Well, we have to show all these things that uh, you're screwing up the culture. You're screwing up the lives of children and forcing them to accept things that most of their parents don't believe in. Well, what you have going on right now, I think, is a cultural shift. Obviously, we know that. But in the cultural shift, you have entertainment, which has driven so much of this, um, continuing to drive it, and it's yeah. not. This is not, it wasn't just like, okay, we, there are going to be equal rights and it's going to be the end of it. It is going to be everyone needs to come alongside and accept this as normal um, if they want to be considered part of the norm. And, right. and with polls changing, I think this is going to be a tougher world for Christians who, who have traditional viewpoints, yeah, for right. sure. I, totally I don't see agree. a way around that. This I is agree. going to get harder. We're seeing it happen. And now you really have to watch what your kids are watching, yeah. right? Yeah. Now, the interesting yeah. thing, though, the fact that this is a news story is showing that we haven't quite gotten there yet because people are surprised about it enough to make it a news story and to talk about it and to debate it, which means that it's still not the norm, obviously, in entertainment. So, that look, it is it is a fight that people should fight if they feel passionate about it, and I think I, I for sure would not have my kids watching a show where they're going to start asking questions that I am not ready right. to talk with them about at, right. at, you know, at a young age. And, really, and that's the thing is parents know exactly what your kids are watching and what they're doing, what they're doing online, what they're watching on television. Our kids don't watch anything on television without us turning it on for them. I mean, that's just the rule and it will always be the rule. We don't do, we don't do, well, they're only nine, five and two, but we won't do computers in their rooms. My daughter has a, has my old iPhone, which we does not a phone, but it, it can, 
she can get she can do texting and things but we don't have her hooked up to like she can't use safari on her phone there's no web access there's no facebook but she can listen to music and there are a few games we put on there and she can text with a few other friends who have iphones but they're mostly family members but she's not allowed to take that to her room and she knows it she has to ask if she's going to take it to her room to listen to some music she has to ask us first and she's only asked that a couple times that's just the rule we don't take you're not going to take your phone you won't take a computer or an ipad to your room you everything that you do online and any television you watch will be done where we can see you doing it because there is so much garbage out there there are animals out there attempting to hurt our kids to to abuse our children and there's just filth on television including on nickelodeon apparently so anyway let's 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 end this on a slightly uh more positive or fun note shall we you and i discussed last night during trump's nonsense during trump's speech <laughs> you you are pretty sure he's going to win this election 100 i'm 99.9 okay. percent sure but that could change next week but right or, now even this afternoon today <laughs> what? Let's see, let's see, i'm pretty sure he's gonna lose i'm pretty sure hillary's gonna pull this out but would you be willing to I don't know, bet a steak dinner on it. Yeah, okay. of course. Either way I get to eat, whether I'm paying or not, so I'm in. <laughs> That's right. No, 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 no. I'm not going to allow you to eat with me if I win. I have to watch you eat it, <laughs> you just which have is to punishment pay. for you more just, than one reason. You just have to pay for it. Fine. Okay, no, Okay. so if, if you lose, you take me to a steak dinner. If I lose, I take you to a steak dinner. All right, well, that, that works for me. So it's a deal then? I'm in. All right. Oh, and people are asking still about t-shirts. Are we going to do anything with t-shirts? I think we are. Okay. What kind of t-shirts are you going to make? I think we should just get, I think we should just go out and get a cheap Hanes t-shirts and then just get Sharpies. I think we should <laughs> right? have your face with a giant hashtag that says never frump under it. <laughs> I love it. Oh, and speaking of projects we're working on, how have you finished up your coloring book pages? Because we really need to get that done. All right. The Church Boys.